our topic this week from the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 5, regarding justice. Starting verse 1, there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. And so what has been taking place, Nehemiah came from Persia to help rebuild the wall. After he heard it wasn't, he got permission from the king, all miraculous things. And he comes and they begin building the walls and they're working hard side by side, building up the wall with opposition from the enemies around that don't want a wall, that don't want the Jews to have uh, autonomy and, and uh, freedom and freedom of worship and independence of the surrounding oppressors. And so they're doing everything they can to stop it, threatening that the Jewish builders are having to have weapons on their sides as they build, building with troth in one hand and a sword in another, and day and night on guard. And yet they're moving forward. There are some within the Jewish population who become fearful and fretting and seeing the opposition and, and worried about that and causing internal fears and anxieties. And yet they're pressing on and Nehemiah is encouraging them and they're building and they're building. And then within the midst of all of that, another trouble raises its head. And that's how it is. That's how it is in life. That's how it is as God is on the move, as God is on the move in our life, as things start to improve in our life, as we start growing closer to God, as we start allowing God to make changes and build us up, there's opposition from all over. There's opposition from those who hate God. There's fears and anxieties from those who do believe in God and are fearful of change, of growth, of movement. And then there are interpersonal conflicts. And that's what we see here in the midst of all this, in a very short period of time, all of this coming to a head. I'm sure Nehemiah didn't bank on any of this when he just went before the king and said, hey, I want to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. And said, sure, no problem. And gave him a blank check and permission to go and, and, uh, and certification to go. And the king's approval. So, wow, now this is easy. I got the king's approval. What could go wrong? When he shows up, and there's problems from without, from within, and amongst each other. This is a great outcry of some of the Jewish people with their wives against their Jewish brethren. Verse 2, And for there were those who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. We have borrowed money from the, for the king's tax on our land and vineyards. So a famine has been taking place, which caused a difficult time. Not enough food for the large families. But they're wanting to eating grain to be able to eat. There were those that are working, they're working hard. They, 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 they mortgaged their lands, their vineyards, their houses. So they were trying just to be able to pay the taxes and pay the bills on their land, on their vineyards. They weren't just laying around looking for a handout. They were wanting to pay things off, but there was a famine. There was a difficulty, an external problem. So you had this famine into the whole mix of all this timing and these situations. Again, sometimes in our lives it seems that that's happening. Problems left and right, once we think we get past one, another one shows up and another one shows up. And so they're in the midst of this famine still having its effect on the, and causing poverty in the land. And so they're crying out, we just need to eat. Our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been bought, brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. So we can't even work it off anymore. We've sold our children. We've had to sell our land. We've had to sell our vineyards. We don't have any way to even redeem them back. It's a major problem, big problem. 
And then they don't even have children anymore to help work it off and to pay it off for them. To go out and get jobs in their youth and their strength. And so they've spent all, they've spent everything they've had. And they're wanting to work, they're wanting their vineyards, they're wanting their land. So that they can work, so that they can grow, so that they can pay off the debts, so they can provide for their families. And so they're making this cry to Nehemiah. All in the midst of trying to build a wall. They wanted to build a wall, but we need to eat also. And we don't have our kids. And we don't have our own land anymore. Big problem. A big problem. So how does Nehemiah deal with this? Does he say, look, we need to stay focused on the wall. That's what I came here to do. That's what I got the paper from the king to do. That's what I got the finances to do, to build the wall. Let's just get back to building the wall. I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And rightfully so. And again, it shows us a little bit more of the character of Nehemiah. That he had some righteous indignation when he heard about these injustices that had been taking place and the hardships of the people. And so he was concerned and angry to hear about this and their outcry. And there's a lot of things crying out for our attention right now. There's a lot of things for us to get angry about right now. A lot of injustice in the world, all around us, locally and nationally and globally. But it's so easy for us to just pass it through, reading in a news article, and then go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And to not let it pause and sit in our heart and to stir up. We get to a point where we can get so angry about so many things that we'd be angry all the time. But it's good to have anger at injustice. God hates injustice. God cries out for justice. Without justice, there's nothing. Without a justice in the land, we don't have real freedom. That's what made this country what it is today. That's what's made it the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's why people from all other lands are trying to come to the United States. I have friends who've come from communist Russia or Poland or Ukraine and various different areas. Or from the South, Argentina and Chile and various places, Honduras. They know oppression. They know difficulties that come when you don't have laws. When you don't have justice, when you don't have right and wrong, you don't have a balanced system. You don't have someone there judging. And so these people felt they could cry out because they saw in Nehemiah somebody who was different. Somebody who came to do something about our situation. Someone who came to help us out, who were willing to stand up to our oppressors, to stand up against our enemies, to stand up against our neighbors, to do what is right. We've been waiting to build this wall for a hundred years, and here comes somebody out of the blue, and he's wanting to build our wall, and he's helping build our wall. He cares. He doesn't want the enemy encroaching in. So he wants a wall, he wants boundaries. And they say, well, if he cares about that, maybe he'll care about our famine. Maybe he'll care about our needs. Maybe he'll care about our hunger. Maybe he'll care about our families. Maybe he'll care about our children. And so they felt comfortable crying out to him. And they were right, because he felt angry at hearing it. He could have just pawned it off. He could have just given, well, I'll take care of this once the wall is built. Put them off. Thrown a few morsels. But he doesn't. He takes it to heart, and he gets angry about it. This country was based on the Constitution, based on laws. The Constitution is written not to give laws for the government. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights gives rights to the people. It defends the right of the people. It truly is written for we, the people. Not for a few hundred Congress people. 
but for all the millions of people in the land. That dictates what the government officials can and cannot do, what they must do in protecting our rights, defending our rights, and setting up a judicial system so that we can bring our grievances. And one of the rights that we have is that we have the right to bring our grievances, whether it's grievances against others or grievances against the government, we're supposed to have a judicial system that we can bring our grievances to. And going along with a justice system, a judicial system, there is to be a system of law enforcement that will enforce just and right laws that are put in place to protect the people. to protect our rights, and to stand for our rights. I was talking to someone from South American country, and they said that we go, we park our car, and we have to pay somebody to watch our car, or otherwise when we come back, the tires will be gone, the batteries will be gone, everything will be gone, and we can call the police and they won't be able to do anything. Another person they knew had a, a lot of land. And there were people coming and stealing wood off of his land, cutting down trees, flowing it down his river, the river on his land, flowing it off of his land, and literally stealing the trees right from under his nose. And there was nothing he could do. He could call the police and they weren't going to do anything about it. And yet, of course, if he was to cut down his trees and try and sell them, they'd stop him from doing that. <laughs> there are some places where you'll get pulled over by a police officer just so that he can buy lunch. Just so he can buy food for breakfast for his family. And so there's injustice as a result of that unfairness and bribes and fortunately in this country for most of its history we've had a balance of powers and a just judicial system and law enforcement that get paid a just salary and, and are held accountable if they tried to do injustices or took bribes but there are people wanting to change these things but those are the reasons it's not our fruited plains or our purple mountain, mountain tops, or however they call, purple mountain majesties that, uh, that people are flocking around the world to come and see and live in. It's not that we have more resources than other places. There's lots of places that have beautiful beaches. There's lots of places that have beautiful trees and beautiful growing seasons and that you can throw a piece of fruit out the window and the next day you'll have a tree growing and pretty soon fruit growing on it. There's lots of places with great natural resources in the land. It's not because of any of that. What's made this nation prosperous and great is our Constitution. The laws, the justice system, the rights of the people. That's what's made it unique. Nothing and nothing else. Our religious liberty, our freedoms. And when those are gone, and they very well can disappear very quickly. Misery ensues. And so he's angry. He's angry that there's injustice in this land in Jerusalem. And so when he hears about it, he gets angry. And we should be angry. We should be angry as we hear the deaths of, in, of babies in the womb being murdered on such a large scale, on any scale. We should feel incensed as we see those siding with terrorists, even in our government, siding with terrorists who are bombing innocent people in a sovereign nation. And even this week in New York and L.A. and many countries around the world, 
so-called pro-Palestinian, and they're not pro-Palestinian because they could care less about the Palestinians. They're really just anti-Semitic, that's it, flat out. Attacking Jewish people. Sitting outside, because in California you have to sit outside to eat, at a diner, and having a mob come up, who's here Jewish, and attacking them. In New York City, a mob attacking two Jewish men. And then the police come and they arrest the Jewish man. So many injustices taking place. Government officials voting themselves raises with no term limits, making billions and millions. I don't know how they get millions and billions and houses on end from the salary that they get. There should be a law, but of course they're the ones who make the laws, but there should be a law that they're not allowed to earn a penny while they're in office beyond the salary that they take from we the people. But injustices, injustices in countries, in Africa, Christians herded into churches and churches burned with the people inside. Christian girls being kidnapped and sold as slaves and sex slaves. Problems in places like Hong Kong, not being able to have their freedoms. North Korea, the oppressions there. And many countries of the world. And as I've mentioned in the last few weeks, even Canada, northern border, so-called free country also, pastors being arrested, coming out of services, driving home on the highway in the rain, and police cars surrounding him, pulling him over, making him get out of his car with his brother, making him kneel in a rainy street, hands behind his back, and haul him off and throw him in the back of a police vehicle, and, and then put him in solitary confinement, and then put him with hardened criminals, maximum security, not allowing him to speak to his lawyers, injustices taking place, people's rights being trampled. Big business crowding out and making monopolies and adding and adding and adding to their corporations, buying up businesses, using lockdowns to shut down small businesses as they build themselves up. Big tech silencing people. These are injustices against we the people on large scales. But there's also injustices right here locally in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods. Among our own families. It can happen even within our own congregation. Nehemiah gets angry when he hears about these injustices taking place. And I've just rattled off just a few. Recent news you can go on and on and on. Stolen elections and so much more. He became angry with these outcries. So then what did he do with his anger? One thing to get angry, there's people who get angry over supposed injustices and they can burn down cities. Is that, what the, is that what Nehemiah does? Does he go down and burn down a city? Does he go loot a store? What does he do with his anger? After serious thought. Those two words, serious thought, tell volumes. What do you think he did with his serious thought? Doesn't say how long he seriously thought, but if it was a serious thought, it might have been a time, a period of time. Maybe a few hours, maybe even a day or so. Serious thought. 
And so when we hear these injustices and we get angry about it, and it should raise up anger, and if we don't get angry about it, then there's something wrong. We're not in tune with the Holy Spirit. We're not in tune with God. We become numb. We become complacent. We become immune to it. And that's not good. Watch too much television, too many movies with violence there and violence here, and all this stuff, or the news and stuff that we can't even do anything about, and... And then we just become numb to it. Oh, another person was abused. Oh, another person was beaten up. Oh, there was another person arrested. Oh, there was another group killed. It's just another day. No longer becomes news. But he gave it serious thought. So what did that mean for Nehemiah that that he gave serious thought? For Nehemiah, what does that mean? Serious thought. From what we know about Nehemiah, what does that mean? He prayed. Yes, Nehemiah has been a praying person. He's been four months praying about the injustice that Jerusalem doesn't have a wall yet. That's his character. So when he says serious thought, no doubt he was praying about this. He heard about this and he took it to heart. He prayed. He prayed for four months and then he's talking to the king and he's praying while he's talking to the king. After he's done talking to the king and gets blessed by the king's Approval. He then praises the Lord and he's praying again. And he goes to Jerusalem and he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, he's constantly praying. Yes, I believe, serious thought, he was praying. And when we hear these injustices, we should be praying for those people. And you drive down the road and you hear an ambulance, pray for those people. You don't even know where they're going or where it's happening. But pause as you're driving or whatever and pray. You see something on the news, you read something on the news, you can pray. Pray for those people. And God is able to do much more than we can imagine as we pray. Things even around the world. Don't just put it off. Just don't take it, listen to it, and then move on. Pause. Give it serious thought. Pray for these problems. Again, locally, nationally, in your family, in your life. Pray. Serious thought. What else might serious thought mean for Nehemiah? He gave it serious thought. He heard about these injustices and what these people are saying and he gave it serious thought and he prayed and what else maybe? Well, how did he come up with a solution? What did he do? What do you have to do to be able to come up with a solution giving a serious thought? I can't understand. Got the facts. Got the facts. Talk to people and get the facts. Because you know, just hearing one side is not enough. I've heard lots of one-sided stories and go, oh man, that is horrendous, I can't believe that, I can't believe they did that to you, until I hear the other side. <laughs> Get all the facts. Talk to the people, hear the people, listen to the people, but then also listen to other people. And make sure that it is what it is and what it seems to be. Not just the last few seconds of someone's video clip of some seeming injustice without finding out, well, what happened before that? What was that person doing before that? Why did that police officer have to do that to that person? What happened before that? What was that person like? What was going on? Get all the facts. Not just a YouTube video of a few seconds or whatever. Get all of the facts before moving forward. Give it serious thought. When you hear about a marital situation, your friend, your your relative, they're telling you what their spouse did to them or their children or their parents, get all the facts before you weigh in, before you give an opinion. Before you speak up, get all the facts. And then to get all of the facts, not only by listening to the people and praying and hearing from God, there's another important area to get the facts. Where might Nehemiah gone to get facts? The Word of God. The Torah. What does the Torah say regarding this situation? What does the law say regarding this situation? What does the national law, what does the Constitution, what do the local laws say regarding this situation? What does the manual say? What does the 
policy say? What does the warranty say? What does the contract say? What does the Word of God say? And I believe he searched the Word of God, and we'll see that in a few more verses. As he gives his response, and it's based on the Word of God. And so we also need to know the Word of God, search the Word of God, know what is right, know what is wrong, get all the facts, be in prayer, and give serious thought before reacting on news or information or stories or tales or complaints or people crying out on your shoulder. Pray about it. Get the facts. See what the Word of God has to say. And then, as Nehemiah does, act on it. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? So he got angry. He gave it, well, he listened. He listened. He got angry. He gave it serious thought, praying, searching the word of God, getting information, all the facts from everybody. And then he acted upon it and rebuked those that were at fault based on the word of God. You're exacting usury. And the Bible says, do not exact usury from your brother. Do not take interest from your brother. You can take interest from the other nations. You can take interest from other believers. But from your own brethren, do not take interest. And yet they were taking interest from their brethren. And that was against the word of God. And so he had grounds to stand on. He had the facts. He had the testimonies. And he went forward and rebuked them. He rebuked the nobles and the rulers. Now what did Nehemiah come to do? To stand as judge? To rule in these matters? No, he came to build a wall. But he's willing to do this also. He could have put it off. But no, he felt this was important. He decided that in his serious thought. And he put the people first. And he rebuked the rulers. Now to build the wall, whose help does he need? Everybody. And yet he's rebuking the nobles and the rulers. Now if the nobles and the rulers those with the financial resources who've taken all the money from others, who have now all the land, who now have all the vineyards, and he needs to build a wall. If he gets them angry, and they pull out their support, they can easily write to the king and say, you sent this guy over here, we didn't ask for him, and we don't want him here, and He's not actually doing what you told him to do. He's actually stealing money from the people. He's actually taking the money you sent with him. And he went and he's used it riotously and, and he's just wasting it away and he's not doing it. They could lie and have him taken out. Or they could stir up the people and pay off the people. Look, we got your lands, we got your children, we got your vineyards. And if you don't oppose them with, uh, with us, then we're going to make life even harder for you. And if you do work with us, look, we'll pay you, we'll give you some land back, we'll give you this back, whatever inducements. They could bribe the people to be against Nehemiah. He's just one man, he came out of nowhere. Here are these nobles and these rulers, they've been interacting with these people, they know these people. So why on earth would he do such a stupid thing as rebuke the nobles and rulers who he's needing, most importantly, to get the job done? He could get fired, and if he got fired, if we got back to the king from the nobles, the enemies are already lying about him. Now have the nobles join with that? And we'll see later on, a lot of these nobles are in with the enemies, are in with the Sam Blatts and other guys. They all write to the king, and news gets back to the king that his, his wine server is, even falsely accused, is misusing the funds and the privileges the king gave him. What do you think would happen to Nehemiah? He'd be dead. 
He'd be dead on the spot. So why on earth would he rebuke the rulers and nobles? It's the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. He didn't, not like God, he's no respecter of persons. Did not matter where the riches came from. It did not matter where the finances came from. It did not matter where the donations came from. It did not matter where the help came from. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And he spoke to the injustice. He gave it serious thought. He didn't just react. He gave it serious thought. He was in prayer. He heard. He got the testimonies. He got the facts. He listened. He knew what the word of God said. And he acted. Even at the risk of his own life at the risk of the purpose and the plan that he had, and of the building of Jerusalem, because it's the right thing to do, to literally stand with the people, not just some slogan, to be for the people, but he was with the people. All the people. Including the rulers and nobles, because this would not be good for them either if they were able to continue this. They'd be on the road to perdition on the road to hell if they were able to continue with this. If he did not rebuke them, he was rebuking them for their own sake as well as for the sake of the, of the, of the people that had the lands taken from them, the vineyards taken from them, and their children sold into slavery. Justice is good for all. Righteousness is good for all. Truth and laws are good for all. Good laws, righteous laws are good for all. Not just some elite. Not just for the rich few or the powerful few. Not just for some movie actors or sports figures. Movie actors, you know, they make their living protecting, pretending they're not who they are. They're very good at pretending that they're not. How are we supposed to believe what they say? What makes someone who can throw a ball or catch a ball or run really fast make them an expert in politics or anything else? And yet we kowtow to them because they got all the money and the power and influence. We need to be able to speak truth to power without fear. Even though there might be good reason to fear. But not fear, because we'll see. Nehemiah explains why he did not have to fear. We'll get to that in a second. They were silenced and found nothing to say. Why didn't they find anything to say? Why didn't these rulers and nobles have anything to say? Nehemiah is rebuking them, telling them exactly, plain in sight, laying it out, what they did wrong. And they had nothing to say. They were silenced. Why? Truth had nothing to do with it. There's lots of times people are uh, 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 presented with truth and rebuked with the truth. And what do we normally do in our human nature? We'll deny it anyway. We'll excuse it anyway. We'll blame someone else. We'll justify it. Well, I had no choice. There was a famine in the land. And, and we're being oppressed and we're being attacked by the king and it's because of the king that we have to pay taxes so I had to get money from somebody else to get the taxes. It's not my fault. I'm just stuck in the middle here. I'm just trying to make it by myself. We got all these oppressors around us. They're, you know, they're going to kill me and they'd kill us if we didn't have finances and I had to do it. And look, I helped the guy out anyway. I gave him some money anyway so he had some food for a while. The fact that he wasted it, what's that my problem? I couldn't do anything with that. We'll justify it. We'll blame others. We'll excuse it away or we'll deny it. I really didn't do it. It was someone else who did it. I was just following orders. Following orders is not a good excuse for anything. Not excuse, wasn't an excuse for the Nazis, and it won't be an excuse for those in law enforcement today either, or any position. They were silenced because Nehemiah spent 44 months praying. That's why they were silenced. They were convicted on the truth. It was a miracle that they were silenced. And if Nehemiah wasn't a praying man, and praying all along, and praying all throughout it, they would have heard that truth, and heard that rebuke, and resisted it. 
But the Holy Spirit was able to move on their hearts and minds and soften them because Nehemiah cared just as much about them as he did about the others. And they were touched in their hearts and knew that they were wrong but didn't resist. They melted under it. That's the power of God. That's a miracle of God. It's not so much the building of the wall. Nehemiah is building the people. Everybody. Raising everybody up. They're being brought down before God. Thus they're raising up in stature before God. Humbling themselves before God and rising up to true nobility before God. They had nothing to say. Nehemiah said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. Nehemiah also wasn't just talk. He acted. He bought back slaves, as it said in the previous slide, two slides ago. And here, mentioning it again. He lent them money. He helped them out. He didn't give them money. He lent them money. And there's a difference between a handout not just giving some government aid. He's lending them the money so they can have the land so that they can earn it back. And he's buying them back, redeeming them. He's standing in as the Messiah, redeeming them as the judge. Yeshua is our judge, standing in the courts right now, doing justice and judgment for us. He'll be the eternal judge. He came as the prophet servant. He's now as our judge. He'll come back as our judge, separating the sheep and the goats. And then at the third coming, come as king. Right now, as judge, judging in the land. Nehemiah is doing that role. And interceding, and helping, and buying them back. And being an example. Redeeming. And telling them to do the same. You should do the same. He says, do I have to buy them back from you too? So he lent the money and he told them. So he didn't let up. Once they were silenced, he still continued on. Not only were you wrong, but now this is what needs to be done to make it right. It's easy just to say this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. There's a lot of critiques out there. There's a lot of critics out there. There's a lot of Tuesday quarterbacks and backseat drivers saying what should have done, what could have been done. A lot of people who just want to sit back and if I was the president, if I was the governor, if I was the minister, if I was this, if I was that, this is what I would do. Well, then why don't you do something? <laughs> then go run for office or go become something and then do something and show us what should be done. It's so easy to sit back. But Nehemiah, he did it. He didn't just say you're wrong. He acted in buying the people back as an example and then told them what they needed to do to make things right. A plan, a doable plan, not just condemning. He did not come to condemn. We don't see him condemning anyone here. He's pointing out right and wrong, but without condemnation. He's bringing justice and judgment in the land. There's a delicate balance between both. John 3.16, many people are familiar with God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should perish, whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But John 3.17 is not as well known, but it's just as important. I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's still justice, still judgment, still rebukes, still right and wrong, but without condemnation. As we talk to one another, as we enact justice, as God makes us peacemakers, as God uses us to heal families, to heal friendships, to heal situations at work or in school or in the congregation to be peacemakers, to be builders, bridge builders, not condemning, but building up. And Nehemiah is doing that. He's building them up while still rebuking wrong, speaking truth to power, but coming up with a solution 
and in helping and participating in the solution as well. So how do they respond? They said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. That again is a miracle. This is the greatest miracle maybe in the book. A changed heart. It was miraculous that Nehemiah was upset that the walls weren't built. It was miraculous that the king said okay. It was miraculous that the people were willing to build. It was miraculous that the people built. But the biggest thing is a changed heart. And these people's hearts are being changed. They're confessing their sin. They're repenting. They're turning from their sin. They're promising to make restitution for the wrong that they did. Now, they're not saying we're going to give them our land. We're not saying we're going to give them our land forever. And they're not going to say we're going to give them our neighbor's land. They're not saying well, we're going to take someone else's land and give it to them. They're going to do what's just and right. A lot of people want to go all the way on the wrong side for some injustice. And not eye for eye, but neck for an eye. And sue you till you're totally broken. Your children are broken. Everyone you know is broke. That's not justice. But he's only expecting them to do what's right. Give them back what is there. Restore to them. And not require anything extra. Just as Nehemiah laid out for them. They're not charged the interest. And to give them back what is right. So that they can work the land, work the vineyards, pay the taxes, feed their family. Not a handout. A hand up. Helping them to be able, by God's grace, to help themselves. And they said, we will do it. They're repenting. Messiah hadn't come yet, but basically they're receiving the Messiah's forgiveness, his grace, for the wrong that they had done. Humbling themselves before him. And wrongs that we have done, we need to repent, we need to accept the Messiah's forgiveness for it, and we need to do on our part to make right the wrongs that we did to restore what was wrongly taken. Whether it was a business deal or car you sold that you knew had this problem and you hid it or lied about it or, or home or vacuum cleaner or whatever or some just de unjust dealing or some lie or some half-truth that was important to know. Somewhere, somewhere in our life we've done injustices. Maybe manipulating, controlling, and controlling marriages being controlled by one or the other. Parents being controlled by their children or children being controlled and manipulated by parents when they're of age to be able to make decisions. We've played those roles. If we've been the oppressors, we have the mercy of Messiah. We can receive forgiveness. We can confess. We can repent. We can turn from those sins and receive God's grace. So even if we're in the midst of the sermon here, if that applies to you, allow God to work upon your heart and mind and receive his forgiveness, receive his love, receive his change of heart, have the guilt removed, and be set free. So they make this promise, we will do it. But remember when we were at Mount Sinai, God said, these are my commandments, and the people said, we will do it. <laughs> so what happens here? Nehemiah called the Kohanim and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I shook out the fold of my garment and said, may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. So he rebuked them individually, and he called the assembly and rebuked them openly because it was an open sin, an open problem. They were humbled, they confessed it, they were silenced, they promised to redeem it. And then he brings the Kohenim in as witnesses and one of the roles of the Kohanim weren't just spiritual leaders. They were judges. They were to judge between the people. 
That's why, again, that's one of the roles that the Messiah is playing right now as our Kohim Gadol, as our judge, and as our intercessor. And will come with judgment. An important role. Important for us to understand his role as judge in his second coming. Not as king yet, as judge. Important for us to understand that. And so he calls them in as judges to witness, to hear, to record, to hold them accountable. And everyone now is in agreement. Yes, sounds good. The people said it sounds good. They didn't say, we want a million dollars. Sue them. Get some lawyer to chase this ambulance. Let's get a class action lawsuit against them. No, they'll do justice. They'll make it right. That's good enough. They've been humbled, they've confessed, that's good enough. And the people did according to this promise. That's another miracle. It's a miracle they were silenced, it was a miracle they were humbled, it was a miracle that they confessed and repented, and then a miracle that they followed through on it. That's all by the grace of God. That's all the power of God. We don't have the power to do, we can make lots of promises, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but it takes the power of God for us to be able to follow through. That's why we have to be humble before him, reliant on him, and let God to work in us and through us. And so praise God, Nehemiah is building the walls. Not the stone walls, the walls of the people. The living stones are being built up by bringing justice in the land. We need justice in our congregations, there's too much injustice, there's too much sometimes favoritism. The scriptures refer to that. Don't let, you know, put someone in a seat and high up because of the position or whatever. It means to be justice in congregations, justice, righteousness. There needs to be justice in our homes. Fairness and right. There needs to be justice in our communities, and among friends. our school system, our work systems, in whatever position we're in, wherever God has placed you, and in our nation, we need to be praying for justice to be brought forth. The miracle of God to move upon the hearts and minds for people to change, for change to take place, for us to change, for it to start with us. And so they followed through. God wants us to follow through as well. And he gives us the power to do so. And from that time on, I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brethren ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Wasn't it so much the fear of Artaxerxes, others had stolen from the people and stolen from the king's treasury, used their position to build up their own wealth, to have security guards for themselves while denying people the police protection for the people? No. He said, no, he did justly. He did not demand more than was rightfully his. And he used his means to buy slaves, to free slaves, those who were sold into slavery, to do justice and to help people out. And he ruled righteously for 12 years while in that position. He did not take more than was justly for his because... Not so much fearing the king or fearing the people, but fearing God. And when we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. Oh, retribution might come. People might still help us, hate us, rather. Rulers and nobles might not like being rebuked. People not, might not like or appreciate being helped. They didn't appreciate Moses. But nonetheless... It's the right thing to do is to fear God. Better to fear God and do what's right before God. Because God sees all. And God will rule justice. Like we might get away with it here. Might get away with some injustice here. Might get away with some unjust dealing. 
Might get away with some control and manipulation, coercion. God sees all, and God will judge. And even if we've been oppressed, if we've been victims, if we've been taken advantage of, if we've had our liberties taken and our rights taken away from us, God is judge and God will rule. God will enact justice and judgment in his time and in his way. And that's where our hope is. That's where our eternal hope is. That's where our eternal trust is. That's where our faith is. He will eventually bring justice in the land, whether here on earth or in the eternity, because again, he comes a second time as judge and will judge among the people, separating the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, destroying the wicked, and taking the righteous into his barns. Nehemiah feared the Lord. And that's why all these miracles happened. He prayed, he feared the Lord, he trusted the Lord, and it showed. He cared for the people, as well as for the nobles and the rulers. He cared, and he put his own money where his mouth was, and it showed. And people repented, and the city was built up. And again, I'm not talking about the walls. The city was built up because the nation was built up. The people were built up. They were encouraged, and they were helped, and they were blessed. I also conducted the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. They kept focused on why they were there. And again, you can build up walls, but if you don't build up people, you're not building the wall. The work was more than just the wall, the stone walls. The work was building the city, the people, the temple of God, the real temple of God. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, beside those who came to us from all the nations. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me, and once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of all this, I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. They did not demand his own provision. I mean, could you imagine a politician not taking his salary? Who would do such a thing, right? Could you imagine such a thing? That's what he did. He didn't demand the governor's provision. He provided for 150 people. He fed the 150 people around his table. Were there servants and workers? He didn't abuse his power. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all... I have done for this people. And he prays because he knows I can do all this and do all this right. But what's important, God, is remember me. Write me in your book. It doesn't matter what the people say. It doesn't matter if the people cheer me on. It doesn't matter whether the rulers or nobles hate me or like me. It doesn't matter if the enemies like me or hate me. It doesn't matter what the king likes me or hates me. What matters, God, is if you remember me and write it justly in the book. Because historians will come and change it around anyway. Again, all that Moses did for the people and others, and it wasn't always appreciated. There's many things you've done for lots of people that wasn't appreciated. But may God remember it, and God will store it up. God writes it, God sees it. God does not forget. And that's what's really important. And I believe God answered his prayer, not only remembering him in heaven and in the books of life, but here we are over 2,000 years later remembering Nehemiah for what God did through him. And so sometimes it's rewarded here as well. And so God answered, and again, we see Nehemiah praying. Praying, you know, basically every chapter, he's in prayer. And that's what makes the difference in our lives as well. Prayer. Prayer going before us, as we go forth to witness, as we go forth to help, as we go forth to minister, as we go forth to bring justice and speak up, covering everything, saturating everything in prayer, dedicating it over to God, and let God doing his work. And so with that, let us pray. 
And if God has revealed to you some area in your life in a moment when we pray, if he's revealed that maybe there's some area in your life, maybe way in the past, maybe before you were a believer, maybe recently, maybe still today, where you've played the role of an oppressor, taking advantage of someone else, unjustly, unfairly, unrighteously. In a moment when we pray, you can repent and receive God's grace, receive his forgiveness, receive his mercy, receive redemption because of the blood of Messiah. Secondly, if you've heard of oppression and you've gotten angry, but responded in a wrong way with the anger, and use that anger unjustly to, to crush or to hurt or to, or to destroy, receive God's forgiveness and seek forgiveness of those that you hurt. Do all you can by your, God's grace on your part to make things right. Third, if you've been oppressed or are concurrently oppressed or under hardship, being unjustly treated, maybe by a boss, maybe by a teacher, a ruler, or homeowners association, or some other power-playing organization over your life, government. In a moment, let us pray. Let us surrender it to God. Bring our petition before him first and foremost. And ask God to lead us and guide and direct us to who to speak to next. Or, fourth, if you're thinking about some of the injustices in the world, maybe again, something that's close to home, maybe someone you know, maybe a family member, maybe a brother or sister, sister-in-law, brother-in-law situation, or someone you know, injustices is taking place. Maybe an employment situation, maybe some kind of situation where you know of an injustice and God's stirring up anger in you. Maybe it's close to home, maybe it's far away. Maybe it's something you can physically speak to. Maybe it's something you can only pray about. But whatever the case, let us start right now with praying about it. And if God can use you in a position to speak or to do or to help, to minister, to step in, whether it's Nehemiah, maybe financially, maybe physically, maybe with words, maybe some way, shape, or form, maybe a letter, maybe actions, whatever it takes. Let us pray and surrender that anger to the Lord. Let God begin the process of bringing justice. Or maybe there's some situation you've just recently heard about and you're feeling a stirred up anger because of this injustice. Let's stop and think seriously about it. Give serious thought to it. Before you speak up, before you jump in, get all the facts. First decide whether or not you're actually called to be in the middle of it. Not to be in the middle of everything, you know. Get all the facts, see what the Word of God says, and be in prayer. Maybe start with prayer, and we can start praying now about that situation. So if any of those areas apply to your life, or maybe something else out of this account tonight, or maybe God's been speaking to your heart about something else you're going through, in a moment when we pray, let's turn it over to the Lord. Let him do, let him build up, let him build up his wall, let him build us up. Bringing justice in the land. And if there's injustice in the congregation here, let us speak about it, let us deal with it. Let's start with prayer, surrender it to the Lord, and let's, proper time, proper way, proper place, let's address it. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for you are just and for you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you are balanced. Thank you that you are no respecter of persons. Thank you that Nehemiah, through this story and through this account, aptly represented you as our intercessor, as our judge in bringing justice Thank you, Lord, for giving him wisdom and insight, giving him a heart to care, giving him wise action and words. Thank you for moving and softening these people's hearts. And Lord, in the situations we are facing, 
We pray that you go before us and you soften people's hearts that we might unite together and work together and build up your work, build up your kingdom, build up people, and increase your numbers for your honor and glory. We surrender all to you. Thank you that you're able to heal our hurts and heal our wounds and take care of us. Thank you that you are our redeemer. Thank you that you have bought us back from the oppressor who's stolen from us, who's taken our lands and our vineyards and our children. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming them. We claim them for your kingdom's sake because of the blood of Messiah. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.